Welcome to the Battle of Gettysburg podcast. This is your podcast focused on all particular aspects connected to the Gettysburg Campaign of 1863. I'm your co-host and licensed battlefield guide, James Hessler, and I'm coming to you live from the Reliance Mine Saloon in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, licensed battlefield guide, Eric Lindblade. Eric, this is our inaugural episode. What's the topic this week? Our topic is just a basic introduction, who we are, why we're doing this podcast, and give our listeners kind of a sense of what they're going to expect moving forward. kind of getting to know us? Exactly. I think this is kind of, this is a book, this is our book introduction. Very good. This is where we give our reasons for doing this. Very good. So so I guess the the initial question is, who are we? So Jim, who are you? Who am I? Well, my name is James Hessler, and I'm originally from western New York, but I have been a licensed battlefield guide at Gettysburg National Military Park since 2003. Uh, I'm also the author or co-author of three books on the Gettysburg campaign that I'm proud of, uh, Sickles at Gettysburg, which I wrote and was published in 2009. I co-authored with Wayne Motts and Steve Stanley Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg in 2015. And at the time of our recording here, just a few weeks ago in June of 2019, I co-authored and released Gettysburg's Peach Orchard with Britt Eisenberg. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about my background as we continue with the episode here. But uh, Eric, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Eric Lindblade. I'm also a battlefield guide here at Gettysburg National Military Park, where I've served since 2016 uh, as a guide. Um, I've written a book, Fight as Long as Possible, The Battle of Newport Barracks, which uh, is about a battle that took place February 2nd, 1864, in my hometown of Newport, North Carolina, in eastern North Carolina, where I was born and raised. And I've lived in Gettysburg for, well, in August, it'll be 11 years. Wow. I still remember when you moved to town. It's been 11 years already. Yeah, time flies when you're talking about the battle. Time flies, yeah. I've been here 20 years myself, so... Seen a lot of people come and go during that time, Eric. You know, we could maybe one day do an episode, Where Are They Now? I like Gettysburg it. locals. Kind of like, could we kind of maybe do like a Gettysburg Old Timers Day kind of thing? Maybe trot some of these people out of semi-retirement? And yeah, bring them out, bring them back here to the mine, them bring them back, back out to the battlefield. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, an excellent idea. You know, as we're sitting here recording in the mine, and I'm looking at the mural on the wall and the bar, and certainly even the mine has come up with some uh, upgrades over the 20 years that I've been here. But for the most part, that's one thing that looks relatively comfortable and, and, and familiar and unchanged. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if people would come here, they would recognize it. It has not changed uh, much, but much better drink selection. Uh, <laughs> little better atmosphere here um it's really improved i think since you know i started coming here Uh 10 years ago so it's definitely improved quite a bit and does esteemed historian william frazzanito still come in a few nights a week bill still comes in every monday wednesday friday around 10 30. keep in (laughs) mind he works on fraz time not normal time normal time so you know you cut here at uh at nine expecting to see him be prepared to sit here for an hour okay. and a half. Say those nights again. So if folks, if you're listening, you're coming to Gettysburg, you want to stop by the Reliance Mine, catch a Fraz sighting, buy the great man a beer, say those nights again. What nights is it? Monday, here? Wednesday, Friday, getting here around 10.30. 10.30. All right. P.M. P.M., not A.M. <laughs> so now that we've kind of introduced ourselves, um, why this podcast? You know, this is sort of something that's kind of become very popular in the history field. You can look on any um, podcast directory you can find a podcast from almost anything yeah and and there's some other Gettysburg podcasts or some other Civil War podcasts out there um, so we're going to talk a little about why we're going to be different and kind of what we want to do um, 
one of our things here is there's not really going to be any gimmicks here. Right. We're not really trying to promote anything. We're not trying to sell anything. Uh, we're just trying to convey some interesting information on the battle and give you a better understanding of what occurred uh, in those days and months in the summer of 1863. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Eric. Uh, uh, and I'm not knocking anybody, but I think the trend today in general tends to be towards, you know, kind of glib two or three minute videos on Facebook, uh, selfies taken on different parts of the battlefield. And obviously that is I think doing a, a good a good part good job in you know introducing the Battle of Gettysburg to maybe a more diverse or younger audience. Uh, but what I think you and I both kind of felt is is lacking in those forums is just a couple of guys who you know we think we know our stuff, but a couple of guys who know their stuff uh, just sitting down picking a topic each week and talking through it with a little help from our uh, from our listeners. Yeah, and kind of doing more of a deep dive in yeah. some of these topics. Yeah. Um, our next episode after this is a great example of that, June 28th, 1863. I know when on a tour, I maybe spend a minute yeah. talking about what happens on June 28th. It is an incredibly momentous day. Right. But when you're out there on the field, it is that sort of soundbite. So I think what we're looking for is kind of do some deep dives into some of these topics, um, some things that we have not had a chance maybe to talk about on tours mm -hmm. and things we haven't had a chance to write about right. or maybe we'll never get around to writing about, but we still find interesting and want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Um, you know, we've got, I think, what is a neat list of six topics or so lined up for what we're calling season one. And I think June 28th is a great idea because it's really a momentous day in both armies. But as you said, it's it's not something that most people talk about we tend to kind of start things off with uh july 1st and and kind of go from there so i'm looking forward to uh to getting started i think it's going to be great and of course uh, we want this show to be about you as well our listeners so any questions you have about our topics also uh, any ideas you have for episodes let us know. Um, we are available on social media as well as uh, email. You can reach us at uh, Gettysburg Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Or you can like us on Facebook at the Battle of Gettysburg Podcast. Yeah, and we've already received a few questions on Facebook for that uh, uh, inaugural June 28th episode. So when we get to that episode, we will answer your questions. But let's talk a little bit about the episode format. Uh, as we said, we kind of have six topics or so lined up for what we're calling season one. Uh, each episode is going to be roughly about 45 to 60 minutes in length. If Eric and I just get on a roll and uh, are just having too good of a time with the topic, uh, too much for 60 minutes to contain, we might roll things over into uh, a two-parter. But that's the general plan for now. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, as we said at the outset, no gimmicks, no sound effects, uh, <laughs> no flying cannonballs, you know, to punctuate each uh, each episode. We're just going to talk about about it and share our knowledge with you and uh, you will be free to agree or disagree with us on Facebook but we hope you will enjoy it if and nothing else so let's shift gears here Eric as we're recording this we're just leaving another anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg although battle walks within the park were well attended general consensus and certainly there's been a lot of talk within recent months if not recent years about attendance being down uh what do you think about all that you know being out on the field doing tours during the anniversary I mean, if you had to try to make your way through some of the anniversary programs it was challenging um i had a tour that wanted to go through devil's den at the same time they were doing their devil's den battle walk 
it was packed. Yeah. I mean, we're talking yeah. 250, 300 people out there. Yeah. Um, certainly it's the hardcore. It's people that come year after year for the anniversary. Um, that's a great market. I mean, I think we've never had a problem with our battle walks getting people mm-hmm. to come to those. Mm-hmm. I think, though, if you would then drive through the town, you'd drive through other parts of the battlefield, it was not as much as I think we've seen in, in recent years. Yeah, and I saw a couple people on social media, in some cases friends of mine, commenting favorably on the attendance that we had for the battle walks and saying to the effect that Civil War study, Civil War interest is alive and well. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think that's the equivalent of turning on the TV during the middle of the Super Bowl and saying, hey, everybody still watches the NFL, when obviously more long-term trends seem to indicate that NFL viewership is down. And I think we have the same thing going on at Civil War battlefields and national parks. I will certainly say uh, July 1st, July 2nd, July 3rd, Uh, 2019, you know, it was a lot easier to get into a restaurant on Steinwehr Avenue or navigate through the town than it had been in prior years. And again, I've I've lived here for 20 years, but I've been coming here since the mid-1990s. And, uh, you know, I think there's no doubt visitation is down. No doubt. And, And I think, too, one of the questions is how do we actually gauge visitation? You know, what's what's the metric? I mean, there's certainly the ways the park counts it. There's the way the Chamber of Commerce counts it. Uh, I think from us, the eye test sort of looks like it's down. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a, a larger part of how people are, are getting their history today. Yeah. You know, 25 years ago, if you wanted to get the history of Gettysburg, you went to the visitor center. Mm-hmm. That was your hub of it all. Mm-hmm. Now you can book a guide online. You can call a guide directly. You can use apps. You can use other ways of touring the battlefield without ever stepping foot into the visitor center. Mm -hmm. So I think if anything, the visitation is a bit of a challenge because we're still getting people coming. Yeah. I think, but the way they're sort of consuming history is different. And I think you'll see this is for historic sites across the country. I read an article Mm -hmm. just this week about some of the issues over in Philadelphia at Independence Hall there. And I think it's, you know, you could replace Philadelphia with Gettysburg. And I think a lot of those same issues are there. Yeah, and personally, I think kind of this constant question over whether or not visitation is down is probably the wrong question to be asking. Uh, There is no doubt that the population of the country is growing. And if you look at visitation to battlefields, historic sites, national parks, on a per capita basis, at least the Civil War battlefields and the historic sites are not growing on a per capita basis. And I think that gets somewhat to what you just said in terms of how do you engage the audience to get history to them in a way that'll be interesting, entertaining, or meaningful for them. Yeah, and I think everybody connects to history in their own ways. You see a a movement of talking about you know getting young people involved in history yeah. and I can kind of speak to that I was sick you know this year uh, was the 30th anniversary of my first visit to Gettysburg I was going to ask you about that I was six years old yeah. um, had no real interest in the war whatsoever come to Gettysburg and get hooked actually the exact moment was in what was then the American Civil War Wax Museum across from us and actually seeing Dan Sickles get his leg amputated mm-hmm. that's what got me into yeah. it but I think the idea is I think back you know when I was in school Outside of a handful of my friends, 
most kids do not care about history. That's exactly it. It's always it's always been that way. You know, you didn't have you didn't have your whole kindergarten class getting off on Dan Sickles and the Battle of Gettysburg. And I think now when I again I read these comments and these conversations on social media and people look at their childhood through kind of a a frosty glaze that did not actually exist. Nobody was in, nobody was interested in history when you were a kid besides you. So let's get that straight, folks, and, and kind of remember that. So children, in sort of a broader sense, haven't been interested in history any time in our lifetimes. There's the oddball like young Eric Lindblade coming here and getting jazzed up by Dan Sickles. But, you know, the majority of kids are just not into it. And I think... I think this constant quest that we have here, and folks, I'm making air quotes right now as I talk, this constant quest that we have here to get the millennials and get the young people involved is in some ways uh, always going to be doomed to failure. Yeah, and I think there's also the way we go about it. I think there's this idea of we have to make history, you know, to use air quotes, cool. Right. <laughs> History in itself is interesting. It's how it's presented. Right. Um, I know nothing about quantum physics. Yeah. But if you give a give me a good speaker that's engaging, I'll listen to a talk on quantum physics for an hour. I may not know what he's talking about, but I'll at least listen to it. Really? Yeah. I. I, You know, I've. They didn't really teach quantum physics in Eastern North Carolina. Uh Uh, So, but you know, I think we look at this, and I think in our attempt to make history more accessible, and we sort of dumb it down. We try to make it less complex than it is. Mm-hmm. And I think people, there's a natural tendency, they want to have good guys, they want to have bad guys, they want a very simple story. And I think we know as professional historians, this story is not that. And, and I think that's also something we have to look at. People inherently like stories. Why are podcasts popular? Because people like listening to a story on a particular topic. Right. Um, and I think that's where we have to sort of look at how we're going about this, I think, giving good information, information that people can relate to their own lives, their own experiences, and as a way to view history. And I think that's, as Battlefield Guides, we do a really great job of that because we have to tailor every tour we have to our group. It's not a one-size-fits-all interpretation. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think that actually ties to some notes I had made for myself, you know, in kind of preparing for the episode. Uh, I was interviewed recently for another podcast, and to the effect, one of the questions was, is Gettysburg still important? And, you know, my thoughts on that were, uh, you know, people get too hung up on what's the largest battle and what's the most important battle. But to kind of take what you just said and tie it back to Gettysburg, if you're trying to get people engaged in the Civil War, in the Battle of Gettysburg specifically, you know, this, this one has it all. We've got a northern invasion. We've got, you know, the Lincoln administration uh, potentially on the verge of collapse, you know, as, as, as rebels are potentially threatening the northern states. Uh, Lincoln has to change command only three days before the battle. You've got personal conflicts, Lee and Longstreet, uh, Stuart, Meade versus Sickles. And then you've got some iconic battle moments, Little Round Top, Pickett's Charge, George Custer. I'm just throwing him in because he's one of the most famous guys here. Uh, Lincoln comes later and makes this great speech, which kind of cements the whole deal with a northern victory on a northern battlefield, probably with the exception of emancipation, and there's no naval warfare here in Gettysburg, you can get a compelling story on almost sort of any aspect of human drama from the Battle of Gettysburg. And I think really the challenge is, is how do we do that? Yeah, and I think there's things, I think we can both speak from experience, Sometimes you think you're throwing your best game out there as a guide, mm-hmm. and whatever you're doing, it's just not working. Sometimes it just doesn't connect. Yeah. 
and I think about when I do bus groups in April and May. You get fifth and eighth graders here. Most of the eighth graders especially, they're too cool to be here at Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be here. But every now and then you say something and you see a head pop up. And then at that moment, you're like, you know what? Maybe I've registered with that person. Maybe that's what gets done. I think we have to look at our metric. It's not so much reaching everybody. Right. It's reaching those that are sort of open to be reached. And I think that's where we're sort of, uh, we have to find ways to do it. And I think it also, we have to somewhat think outside the box in our interpretation. You know, the same old battle walks, the same old programs, it's just not going to cut it. You know what? I bet like a Battle of Gettysburg podcast might really connect with people. You know, somebody should really somebody, do that. Somebody should look into that. I'm going to yeah. put a note down that we put, should do a Battle of Gettysburg podcast. Put a podcast. note down on that. I think yeah. that's a good idea. That's a good idea. You know, and I think the only other thing that I was going to mention, too, I mean, getting back to this never-ending belief that we have to figure out how to engage young people. I didn't make my first trip to Gettysburg until probably I was 27, 28 years old. Uh, I'm a child of the movie and the Killer Angels, and that was what got me engaged, and I've stayed with it. Uh, So I don't believe there's sort of this false premise that you have to hook up with this in childhood and somehow by not getting youth you know young people here that we're somehow missing this great generational opportunity to get them involved in the uh, civil war i come to battlefields and i go to civil war roundtable meetings i speak very often at civil war roundtable meetings and i look around and say you know where the hell are all the 30 year olds the 40 year olds the 50 year olds you know where are these people uh is our population is getting older and we've got kind of this graying of the baby boomers and that sort of thing why aren't more of them coming to civil war meetings where did we kind of miss the boat on on these people as well so i don't think it's just a question for can we engage young people or not engage young people i think there's there's a whole lot of people who are just getting older out there who maybe can't take up golf and should take up the civil war instead and i think that's part of our society in general if you looked at america in the 1950s You were a member of a church. You were a member of a social club, whether it be the Moose Lodge, the Elks, the VFW, whatever. Americans really aren't joiners of things anymore. No, they're not. And I think there's also, why join a roundtable when I can stay at home and watch a battle walk from Gettysburg or listen to it on my drive to work? And also, people are busy. People have stuff going on. Yeah, that that, that was the segment where I knew some 20, 20-something listening to this podcast was going to say, come on, old man, I don't want to go to my meetings. I want my content on my device and all of that stuff, too. And I get that. I mean, that's why I've taken a pause from writing 400-page full-length books to do trying to do a podcast here. So I get that. I get the technology's changing. I get the devices are changing. Uh, but, you know, folks, at the same time, you know what, man? Get involved with people who have this similar and perhaps, and I emphasize perhaps, dying interest. Uh, go out and find these people. Find these meetings. Go to these meetings. Even if you're 25 and everybody else in the room is 60, they're going to be happy to have you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, though, as a society and as a civil war society, as a Gettysburg society, we got to get to the point where we're not sitting here waiting for the next battle walk to show up on Facebook. Get out and attend that battle walk get out and go to that battlefield that's that's really what we need to do and i think also you know there's good and bad with social media i think people are finding ways to connect 
about the Civil War on social media. Um, I will say you read any Gettysburg group on Facebook, there will be times where you want to pull your hair out because it's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think overall it's a a place to find like-minded people that you may not have had otherwise. So in many ways the same aspect you would get from that Civil War roundtable 30 years ago, you're getting from your desk at home or in front on your couch. You're getting that same connection. And I think in the end, as long as people are getting that connection, having that interest, I think we'll be okay. I think as long as we find ways to channel that. Well, you know, I, I think I think yes and no because I was having a similar conversation with somebody a couple of days ago, and uh, my friend who shall remain nameless, you know, kind of said, "Oh, the national park, Gettysburg National Military Park, is always going to be here." And yeah, I get that. Gettysburg National Military Park will probably always be here, despite some of the breathless things I get in the mail occasionally indicating that it's in danger. It's really not in danger. The boundaries of Gettysburg National Military Park are safe. But you know what, damn it? I want to see a thriving town of Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. I want to see, see more people coming on uh, licensed battlefield guide tours. I'm not happy with just, well, you know, I did 100 tours last year. I got 101 this year. I want to see more people coming. I want to see a thriving town. And damn it, you people aren't going to get that just by following the Battle of Gettysburg on Facebook. That is true. I mean, I think there is something to be said for coming here. Um, I had an experience a couple years ago. I went to the battlefield at Waterloo in Belgium. Yeah. I've been reading about that battle since I was a kid. I thought I had a good understanding of that battle. When I finally set foot on the ground, it changed everything for me. Now I realize, wait a minute, this battlefield, Wellington's Line, it's about the size of Cemetery Ridge. Yeah. It's not this grand sweeping battlefield that I thought of. So I think there's something to be said about you can read about this battle your whole life. But when you finally step foot here, it brings it together. You can actually see, okay, mm-hmm. wait a minute, the Peach Orchard isn't that far from the wheat field. You know, basically Culp's Hill isn't that far from Little Round Top. Mm-hmm. You see the, the sense and breadth of the battlefield. Yeah, and that's a great point, and that's true for any battlefield. It's kind of an old cliche, but it's it's always been true that the best way to understand it is to get out onto the field and walk and study the terrain. Uh, you know, your best books, your best uh, social media content, whatever, the maps in your books cannot substitute for getting out on the ground. And again, I think if we just become a society of people studying the Civil War electronically, that's another thing that obviously we're going to lose is just the general understanding of the battlefield. Yeah, I get it. The parks will still be here. But if nobody's using the parks, then I think we've lost something. And I think also in these groups, be welcoming to new people that are coming, getting involved. Um, yes, you may have been studying this battle for 40 years. That person that's just starting, they're jazzed up. They're excited about this. Don't do things to run them oh, off. I know. It's horrible. You it's know, horrible. And, and I think we see that at times where... We see that a lot. You know, I think people need to understand this is the Civil War. It's serious. I think you once said it best. We're not curing cancer here. You know, it's, it's the past. We, we are impacted by it. It does have a value. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to sometimes maybe take it down a notch or two in terms of how serious we take ourselves yeah, when it comes totally to this. Agree. And I think we, we all read our first Civil War book at one point. Right. Everybody's been there. Just because you've been reading this for 50 years, be supportive. You know, help foster right. this. Because once you're gone, hopefully that person that's just picking up a Civil War book 
they might be where you are now. Exactly. So kind of help foster this. You know, many of us many of us thought at one time Joshua Chamberlain was the savior of the battle mm-hmm. and Jeb Stewart was off joyriding. And when that person comes into your again into your community, whether it's your roundtable meeting or your your Facebook discussion group or whatever it is, yeah, don't just kick that person in the kneecaps right off the bat cuz like you said, we need to we need to engage people. I've always thought you know, the whole thing within the uh, reenactor community over, you know, whether you're a farb or not a farb. And I've never been a reenactor. I'm not part of that community. But I always thought that whole debate over farbs versus non-farbs was just so self-defeating. I mean, it's just driving people out of the uh, the hobby, the avocation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and to what purpose? Great. So you can say your belt buckle was more authentic than the other guys. Man, what a waste. And to me, I think that, you know, I experienced this when I was younger. You know, when you're a teenager interested in the Civil War, you're dealing with folks using their 40s, 50s, 60s, who are maybe not as welcoming. Um, you know, and I think that's where we have to kind of say, hey, you know, we want to talk about getting the next generation involved. Don't push the next generation away. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't sit here and say we want kids involved at the same time. Oh, well, you don't have an opinion. You don't have a valid view. Help them grow in their study of the Civil War, help them grow in their knowledge of the Civil War, mm-hmm. be a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm where I met because I had a number of mentors, whether they were teachers, whether they were friends, uh, people I met in the Civil War community. Whether they were Dan Sickles. Whether they were Dan Sickles. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dan Sickles. I know, and this is this is going to be the first installment of what I'm going to call the Dan Sickles Report each week. So we've just sort of our first kind of Sickles-related discussion. But, folks, it will not be our last. No, Sickles will be a recurring character here. Don't yeah. you worry. Yeah. And if you are worrying, well, then you should be worried. Yeah, you can't talk about the battle, Fathom. Right. No, the house that Sickles built. It is. Yeah, I, I think we need to get those signs made right now. Maybe we start a GoFundMe page to get those made. Yeah, yeah, right up there with getting his own uh, monument on the battlefield. One day, I have dreams. One day. day. It'll be a glorious day. But but I think this is where, you know, this kind of even goes back to why we're doing this podcast. Uh, We understand that there's some people that maybe can't get here. And that's a, a viable thing as well. You know, if you live on the West Coast or you live overseas, you can't just hop on a plane and come here to Gettysburg. We get that. So we're trying to bring a little bit of Gettysburg to you and maybe some of these areas that we don't really have time to delve into as much elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We can sort of get this deep dive. Now, is this maybe a podcast for a person that has just read a book about the Battle of Gettysburg? Probably not. But we hope that you can still glean things from it and it can help guide you in your study as you move forward. Yeah, and I would say if you are that person who has just read your first book on the Battle of Gettysburg, hopefully it was one of mine. Uh, but if it wasn't, The Killer Angels is another is another noteworthy one. But but seriously, if you've just read your first book on the uh, Battle of Gettysburg, we're going to, as Eric has said, we're going to try to get a good conversation going on these topics. But we're also trying to not to get too inside baseball, uh, too too much in the weeds where where people are going to be lost. So I think I think. I think I think we can make that balance and, and make that work. And I think that's kind of what we do as part of our jobs as guides. We can get in the weeds if we need to. Yep. We don't most of the time. Ninety percent of the tours I do, I'm not in the weeds. I'm thirty thousand feet above this battlefield. Oh hell yeah. yeah! You know, and I think that's where we have to kind of keep that in mind. That you have to be able to do both, and uh, I think that's where we kind of hope to do that on the podcast and kind of give you some of those deep dives on things, but also give you the greater context as well. And I think one 
A former ranger here said it best when someone asked him the question of who attacked first, Edward O'Neill's brigade or Alfred Iverson on Oak Ridge. And he answered kind of glibly. He said, you know, I don't know who attacked first. I don't care. They attacked. Now, we're not going to focus like that, but I think there's something to be said that sometimes we get so caught right. up in the details about where is their left flank or where were their colors at this moment Agreed. that we lose the bigger concept of this. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we lose the importance of why this is a momentous event in our nation's history. Well, you know, and I'll, I'll just take that one step further because the, uh, the legendary ranger that Eric just quoted was the late Greg Coco. Uh, not only a park ranger, but an author of several books uh, related to treatment of uh, death and dying and, and field hospitals here. And I was struck in one of Coco's books, he wrote to the effect that he had a fear that at some point people coming to Gettysburg would be so overwhelmed by the sense of place, he called it the sense of place, that they would really start to forget the importance of the actual historic event, i.e. the Battle of Gettysburg, that really drew them here in the first place. So I think that's, I think Coco's words speak to me, man. They speak. Yeah, and I think also in his, before he was a ranger here, he's also, I believe, a licensed battlefield guide. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Um, he was a combat veteran of Vietnam. I think he had a different understanding of war than maybe a lot of us do. Right. Neither one of us have ever been shot at. No, not you know, to we my don't, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I can't relate to that. Um, so I think there's something to be said for that, that um, people are going to find this place in, in their own way. And I think that's where we hope to kind of maybe help you do that moving forward. Maybe you find a topic that we talk about that you get really into and go into that rabbit hole. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. And hey, I want to go just backwards for a minute because I had some things here that I'd kind of looked at uh, in preparation for the episode. And as we talk about the place and bringing people here, I just wanted to get your opinion on something. So, you know, I was looking at some of the various uh, destination Gettysburg surveys and things that are uh, uh, published in terms of, again, trying to measure visitation and, uh, you know, what, what brings people here or that. And for the most part, what you still see uh, studies seem to indicate that for the most part, people who come to Gettysburg uh, tend to predominantly be from the region, you know, the mid-Atlantic region, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, uh, so on and so forth. And despite all the efforts that have been made in recent years to get people to stay here for multi-day visits, overnight or that sort of thing, the majority of people, at least as far as Uh, Some of the particular surveys that I've written, the majority of people still only really stay for the better part of a day before they move on to uh, somewhere else. So, Eric, my question to you is somebody who fell in love with this area as a child. Do you think Gettysburg needs more what I'm going to call family friendly attractions or is the battlefield enough to sustain the family of four for a seven day vacation? Well, the battlefield itself is not. And I know that's going to be blasphemy. I know people are now throwing their phones, punching their, you know, driver, the driver's side door as they're listening to this as on their drive to work. The battlefield's amazing. It's powerful. But not everybody connects to it. And let's say you were like me that's really into this battle. That's enough for me. But what if there were others in the family that weren't as into this? Right. What are they going to do? Um, I had a family today on a tour. Uh, They're from Utah. They drove here, which amazed me. 
Uh, <laughs> what? They drove? They drove here. Yeah, that's a heck of a drive out from Utah. What did the? Uh, I know I used to live in Utah. What did the family car look like when you got into it for the tour? It, w- it was pretty rough. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Rough. I mean, it, it has looked like it's driven from Utah. A rough patch? It was a rough patch. But, you know, they're very nice folks. I'm so, no, Utah and, people are great. And so, and you know, we were at, I asked him, you know, said, what are you, what are you doing? They did a two-hour tour for me. They said, what else should we see here? And I recommended some things. I said, oh, well... We're going to Hershey later today, so we need to kind of look at that. They were just doing a stop, a drive-through. Yeah. yeah. And actually, my first visit was a drive-through. My parents thought we'd eat lunch here, stretch our legs in the battlefield, buy me a toy cannon, never see this place again. Mm-hmm. And here I am now, thirty years later, licensed battlefield guy doing a podcast in the yeah, right, Gettysburg. Right. So I think what's important is that there is a hook there, whether that's through more family-friendly activities, more things in the battlefield. I don't really know if we have those answers. I don't think anybody's come up with those answers yet. But I think it's something that we should look at as to how people are, are taking in this battle in this place. Yeah, and we're not intending to turn this into a travel and tourism podcast. You know, we're not going to be coming to you live from, you know, the Lincoln Diner or Tommy's Pizza some night uh, type of thing. But I, was, that was, I had a note on that. And I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on that. Uh, yeah, I'm in favor of doing anything that you really need to to make the town, to have more attractions in the town. And again, family friendly is, um, I guess, the buzzword that I'll come up with. I don't know what they are, but I think the the important thing is, and this kind of ties back to Coco's comments about the, the sense of place at Gettysburg. Uh, obviously, I also think we're getting into a period a little bit where, again, you're starting to see people focusing as much on other uses of the battlefield as the Civil War itself. Uh, and while I'm in favor of a lot of the World War One, World War Two related interpretation, that we're seeing out there. I've never had a problem with people using the National Military Park as a recreational uh, uh, usage. And again, I know there's some blasphemy there. You know, my God, we had a marathon on the battlefield kind of thing. I'm in favor of that stuff. Um, I certainly don't. And I think there's also, you know, not only do we work here, we live here. Yep. We pay taxes here as Adams County residents. And so we, a thriving Adams County, from an economic standpoint, benefits us it also benefits the battlefield because people have to live here they have to work here and that's something we have to keep in mind too as we're balancing preservation we're balancing Mm -hmm. tourism and we're also you know balancing economic development in this area as well it's all part of this grand puzzle that we've got to kind of figure out as we're moving forward into kind of this new era that we now find ourselves in absolutely Okay, folks, so this was intended to be kind of a, an atypical episode for what we're going to do. Uh, you know, we've gotten into a little bit of a discussion about Civil War today, Gettysburg today. But as we've said at the outset, really our focus is going to be deep dives on historical topics of interest. Um, I did want to mention, though, again, Eric and I are battlefield guides here at Gettysburg, but I did want to mention that, uh, you know, obviously we do want to let our listeners know uh, that you can get a licensed battlefield guide tour when you come to Gettysburg. No matter the season, complete your Gettysburg experience with a personalized battlefield tour from a licensed battlefield guide. Remember, we are the only federally licensed guides offering tours of Gettysburg National Military Park for over 100 years. Tours are available daily, and for information or to leave a message for a licensed battlefield field guide you can call 717-337-1709 that's 717-337-1709 to make try to make a reservation for a tour at least a day in advance of your visit 
And also, if you are looking for a day of guide, you're just coming up, you're looking for a guide, go over to the National Park Visitor Center at 1197 Baltimore Pike. We do have guides, usually on a first-come, first-served basis. I can't guarantee you they're going to be there always, but it's at least a good shot if you're just kind of rolling to town, not expecting it. So hopefully, when you come here, you'll get a guide. I think you will get the best experience on this battlefield by using a battlefield guide. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we are the best in the world at what we do. I agree. So certainly take advantage of that. Um, it's money well spent. I take tours at all different historical sites that I go to, and every time I come back, I think, geez, we're just better. We're trained uh, in, how, in how to do our job. So we're going to kind of close the episode this week. We once again uh, want to thank the Reliance Mind Saloon for hosting us here. Um, they've graciously given us space to record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're in town, you want a nice drink, you want a nice place to stay, stop by the mine. Um, they'd certainly be happy to have you. So if you want to find us uh, on social media, we're on Facebook, the Battle of Gettysburg uh, podcast. So please like us. Also, if you're a fan, share us. Get the word out about us. Um, we want as many people to listen as possible. If you want to reach us by email, you can reach us at, at gettysburgpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. Uh, so with that, we're going to sign out this week, uh, and I'll let Jim tell us a little bit about our episode next week. Yeah, so as we've said, we're going to kick things off next week with a deep dive on June 28th, 1863, with both Eric and I think is a momentous day in the fledgling Gettysburg campaign. Uh, Trouble comes to George Meade. Robert E. Lee moves on the word of an actor. We got all kinds of stuff going on on June 28th, so I hope you will come back and join us and uh, hear what we have to say about it. All right, well, once again, we want to thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.